Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Josh, co-founder of Urban Valor. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Valor podcast. Our guest today is retired Marine First Sergeant Nelson Coburn. Nelson grew up in Brooklyn, New York. His biological father spent most of his life in prison, which ultimately took his life. Nelson began as a mortarman and served as a drill instructor, Marine security guard, scout sniper platoon sergeant, and personal security detail for the commanding general. He repeatedly found himself in trouble throughout his enlistment, but always managed to work his way out. After sustaining a training in Injury, Nelson woke up in the middle of surgery to two corpsmen drilling a metal rod through his knee, which was supposed to end his military career. However, Nelson's determination to stay in the Marine Corps beat the doctor's odds. If you enjoy this episode, go give us a five-star rating and leave a comment to help support our veterans. The bigger the community, the bigger the impact. If you'd like to contribute your story to Urban Valor or know anyone else who may, reach out to us on Instagram at Urban Valor TV, or you can email us at team at UrbanValor.com. Enjoy the show. We're rolling. What's up, Nelson? What's up, Josh? Thanks for being here, brother. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's just start off with uh, introduce yourself. Uh, branch of service, years served, job right. did. Awesome. <clears throat> uh, my name is Nelson Coburn. Uh, I joined in 1998, the Marine Corps. I uh, retired in September of 2020, so I did 22 years. Well, oh. just shy of 22 years. Yeah. By two weeks. Um, I was a mortarman. 0341, and I joined from Oregon. Wow, from Oregon? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, where you're from uh, and what your upbringing was like. Okay, I'm originally from Honolulu, Hawaii, it's where I was born on Oahu. And then um, I stayed there growing up until I was about 12. Then I moved to Brooklyn, New York. I was there for a year in the 90s, early 90s. Brooklyn wasn't what it is today yeah and i was definitely culture shock going from hawaii to new york i got there in the, the winter the first time i seen the snow foot of snow wow um life there was very different but a good different it was like a concrete jungle from like the island paradise i came from yeah and then i was there for a little over a year and then i went to uh grants pass oregon where i finished up middle school and high school wow what was uh, school like in brooklyn man because brooklyn in the 90s was <clears throat> was gangster as shit, wasn't it? It was hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. My first day there, I got jumped. Oh. Um, I lived across the street from a pretty big project. Um, and uh, everyone was either black or Puerto Rican. Mm. So I, when I went to school, uh, the Puerto Rican's like, uh, what are you? So I was like, I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> I got to survive out here, man. <laughs> like, you don't speak any Spanish? I'm like, nah, man, my mom's white, you know? She was, my mom was the only, like, white, white woman in the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you, what, what, what ethnicity are you? I'm Hawaiian and um, on my dad's side. And then on my mother's side, I'm white from South Russia. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, man, Puerto Rican is believable, man. You got your uh, Mary Tan. Yeah, when I'm on the East Coast, everyone thinks I'm Puerto Rican, and when I'm on the West Coast, everyone thinks I'm Mexican. So. Oh, shit, shit. So I grew up, my mother was a single mother. Um, I didn't know who my father was uh, growing up. She kind of told me that my father was some Arab guy, uh, but she wasn't sure, come to find out. And then when I was older, re about four years ago, I did uh, Ancestry, found out my father, who he was. But he was in prison my whole life. Um, wow. And then uh, he was recently murdered in prison about two years ago. Oh, wow. Um, but it was just a single mother. Uh, my mother was a, a lesbian growing up uh, in Hawaii, so I never had a real male father figure at home growing up. It was just her and I and whoever she was with. They always 
my mother had a way to make people want to fight her. So there was a lot of altercations growing up, a lot of alcohol, drugs. Um, we moved, but before I moved from Hawaii when I was 12, I went to 12 different schools. Whoa. Um, moved probably about 20 times. Wow. Um, but I always knew growing up that I wanted to join the Marines. In, in Hawaii, there's every branch of the service. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the Marines always stood out. They were just always scored away, respectful, opened the doors for my mom. And I, so, and then I was able to go to a lot of the bases when I lived in Hawaii. So every time I went to Marine Corps base, it was spick and span and yeah. guys were in shape running, PTM. Yeah. So I just knew at an early age, that's what I wanted to do. And if you look at any photos that I have from when I was younger, I was always in some type of Marine Corps hat, uniform, something. My, all my birthday cakes were Marines. Oh, wow. So I knew at a really young age, that's, that's what I, something I wanted to accomplish yeah. in this life. So backing up a little bit, your mom <clears throat> used to, st- you didn't know who your dad was growing up? She no. would just give you, a, you know. Well, she was, she was with two different guys that around the same time. Oh, okay. Once I did the ancestor, I kind of asked her like, hey, I found out the truth. Yeah. Um, the ironic thing is I, I hung up, hung out with my dad's side of the family, all my uncles and aunts cousins and nephews growing up but my mom would drop me off and say hey just remember this is your married into family because she actually married my real father but she didn't know she just knew that it was one of the two um they got married then he went off to jail um soon thereafter so then growing up the rest of the time she's like hey it was the other guy um Mm. and i never really questioned it didn't really matter it was just her and i anyways yeah either guy was in our lives so for me it didn't really matter uh, do you know why you went to jail? Oh, he did all kinds of crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The last time he went to jail, um, he had got out after probably like 30 years, I think. And then uh, he was working a job. The guy didn't want to pay him the money that he was supposed to get. And then the the contractor was talking crap to my father. So he pulled him out, started beating him up, hopped in the guy's truck and ran him over. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he went to jail for attempted murder. Wow. And then he ended up dying in prison. Yeah, he was he was uh, murdered by a guy that got in there, and, and they got into an altercation, and then he died from from that altercation. Um, did you ever go visit him while he was in prison? When you found out he was your dad, my before I left the island, my my grandmother she she would take me to go visit him. Um, and then about four years ago, he reached out when he got out, and um, like two years before COVID. And then I would go home every chance I get, and we started reconnecting and, mm. and, and hanging out whenever I was back on the islands. Going in, did you, did you know what you wanted to do in the Marines? I wanted to be an infantryman, and I went open contract infantry, and then they chose it at SOI for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what a mortarman was. They said, uh, you know, the, I said, Sergeant, you said I'm an 0341 mortarman. What is that? He's like, you know those little green uh, plastic toys, that, uh, soldiers that you play with? I'm like, yeah. He's like, the one that you don't play with, you don't know what the hell they do? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's what you're going to do. <laughs> how was your first, uh, how was your first enlistment? Do you recall that first four years? Yeah, it, it was awesome. Um, many of the guys that I served with on that first, uh, tour, we're still in contact today. Hmm. Some of them have passed. Um, but I would say there was 16 of us that all went to boot camp. At the same time in Fox Company, we all went to SOI together, and then we all became mortarmen together, and then we all got sent to um, 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, 81's platoon together. 
And we did our first, most of us did our first enlistment together. I left them after two years. Um, some other stuff came up, but, um, we were tight. We were really tight. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do any, uh, any, any pumps that first four years? I did one. Um, I went to, um, I was with third battalion, eighth Marines. I moved from second battalion, eighth Marines to third battalion kilo company. I was with third platoon and we deployed to Kabul, Afghanistan with task force kilo. Uh, to reinforce the embassy security when it was reopened, mm. and that that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, what what? Talk to me about that. What was interesting about it? We were a company minus, and we we're in the middle of the city. Our, our closest support was um, Jalalabad, which is about hour and a half away from us, forty five minutes, hour and a half, depending on traffic. And uh, we're we're in the middle of Kabul, so the city is like a big bowl, fish bowl, mm-hmm. and everything around us was elevated and. Uh, we didn't have really any armored vehicles. <clears throat> we just, we had barely, uh, I don't even think we had mortars. We had barely some crew serves, some medium heavy machine gunnery, and that's it. Uh, I, I ran the entry control point. We had, obviously we had three platoons and we ran shifts. Um, we got shot out sporadically, indirect fire, um, mortars and rockets. Um, but for the most part, we didn't get any direct contact. Mm. I think they're just trying to still fi- figure out to fill us out, figure out what was going to happen um, yeah. with us being there. So um, after your first four years, obviously you re-enlisted. Uh, um, did you re-enlist uh, because you were enjoying the lifestyle or you didn't know what you wanted to do? What, what made you make that decision? Honestly, I was, um, I asked to go to the West Coast. Um, I was dating someone. I was trying to get back to her. And, um, the Marine Corps said, no, we want you to stay in, on the East Coast, go, go to, I just got back from Kabul and they wanted us to go to Okinawa. My unit was going to Okinawa and, but I was trying to get orders to the West Coast and they said, no, you got to do this deployment. And then when you get back, then you can go. Hmm. Um, then I said, well, I'll get out. <clears throat> and the Sergeant Major's like, well, you're about to get re- you're recalled. And if you get out, we're about to recall everyone. We're going to invade Iraq. And, uh, and I heard the talks of generals in uh, Kabul while they're sitting outside smoking cigars when I was doing my patrols outside of the embassy. Um, so I knew we were going, but I just wanted to be on the West Coast. Mm. So I said, I'll get out. Sorry, Major, good, get the hell out. <laughs> so I was like, all right. So I was planning to get out. I literally had a going away party with my platoon. They gave me a little statue. I had my uh, Penske U- uh, truck set up. All my, my belongings were in there. I had my car on a trailer ready to go. I'm driving off, and then the, the career planner comes running out. Sergeant comes running out. He's like, hey, Colburn. I see him in my rear view, and I pull over. I'm like, what's up, Sergeant? He's like, I got, I got your reenlistment, everything you want. You're going to go uh, to the West Coast. Um, you're going to be an instructor for first FSSG, teach infantry tactics to Mar- uh, Marines that aren't in the infantry. And he's like, you're going, you're driving out West right now, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you got 30 days leave. You got a bonus of like five Gs. I think I got like two and a half three G's or something. So he's like, you want to go? And I'm like, okay. Wow. So I signed and I just drove off and drove to the West coast. Holy shit, dude. On your way out. I, he comes way out. I already had my D214. I already t- I, I took care of all my admin. Everything was done. <laughs> That's wild, man. Yeah. What, what were you planning to do if, if he didn't run out? Like what was your next? Honestly, I was moving out West to go to school. Mm. Yeah. I initially wanted to go to school and uh, played sports uh, played football and I was going to go to college to play football. Um, had a gun accident that, uh, stopped me from, uh, going on that journey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
so I found myself doing my four years and then I was like, well, I'll just go back, get out and go to school. Mm. Uh, what rank did you get up to after that first enlistment? So I got NJP to, from corporal to Lance Corporal in 28 days. I picked up corporal for 28 days and I got NJP back to Lance Corporal. <laughs> and then in my third year, I picked up corporal. So I picked up corporal my first time in my second year. And then I picked up corporal again on my third year. And then I picked up sergeant on my fourth year. So as I was leaving on, on leave to that next unit, I picked up on leave. So when I sergeant, in, you got sergeant. Yes. So you got NJ fucking peed twice and, and busted down twice, but still got. I got busted down once. Oh, you got busted down once. Yeah. But NJP twice. But I got NJP in the, on my second year. Oh. Or right, right after the first year. Right. You, what, what was that? You want to talk about what you got NJP'd for? Yeah, my mom, my mother I was not doing well. She was sick. I had got two Red Cross messages. We were training in um, Fort AP Hill um, in, in Virginia, um, doing combined training with our artillery. I was a, becoming the squad leader for Fort Observers. I was training to take that role. We are getting ready to go on a mew um, to the Mediterranean. And then um, I had got a third Red Cross message. But I was pretty upset, and the night, the night that they got the third Red Cross message, it was during the um, elections, and um, there was like a little PX, and it was open all night. So I was there, and then uh, my ex-wife came down. We were dating at the time. She was doing an internship up in um, Virginia, so she picked. She came on base, and we we hung out, and then till about zero four, we were making movement down south back to Lejeune at zero six, and when I went back to my platoon at zero four, everyone was awake. It was kind of odd. So when I walked in, I was like, what's going on? And then everyone was like staring at me. They're like, oh, you got a third Red Cross message and everyone's been looking for you all night. We were out in the field, like online looking for you all night. Oh. And I was like, damn. So I had to go talk to the first sergeant. First, I want to talk to my company guy and he just yelled at me. But I told my sergeant where I was going. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, a, I'm assuming, he, obviously he didn't say anything of where I was. And he had been NJP twice. And he has meritorious back to sergeant. <laughs> so when they started asking me, like, hey, where were you? We heard that, you know, you told sergeant so-and-so. Um, we'll let you off the hook if you if you say that you told them where you're at. But I knew they were just trying to get back at him. Mm. So I was like, I, I, I didn't say anything. So kept, they, just yeah. kept your mouth shut. Yeah, I did. And they, they charged me uh, UA. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty petty. Yeah. Wow. But wow. at that point, I, I mean, we had been in trouble. I had been in trouble once before. Um, that's a pretty funny story. Uh, we're all drinking in the barracks, like good uh, young Lance Corporals. <laughs> yeah. And um, one of the TVs that we would watch, big old boob tube TV we would watch, <laughs> um, went out on us during one of the you know Sunday night games. So we brought another TV in and one of the Marines in the, there's like eight of us in there drinking. And one of them was like, hey, I bet you won't throw that TV off the the second deck. So we, we watch all the games and I'm like, I'm going to sleep. This guy is not going to throw the TV because we were egging him on all night. So I go in my, uh, my room and I, I get a knock on the door. I'm like, Hey, he's going to throw it. He's going to throw it. So I, I run up, I grab one of those old flash cameras, you know, I'm winding it up. I'm running and he's at the edge getting ready to throw it over. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I'm like, let's go to the third deck. <laughs> so we go to the third deck and we're back then 81s or weapons company was on one side and we had echo company on the other side of the barracks. So when we get to the top, I was like, hey, 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 don't throw it on this side. Let's go throw it on Echo side. <laughs> so that was, someone says something, they're going to be asking those guys, yeah. right? So we go on the other side. He goes to throw it. I take a photo. 
it hits, we all run back to our rooms and we act like we're going back to sleep. Um, found out later that we ended up throwing it on the duty side where the duty uh, room is. So when it hit the ground, it blew up. Like it was a loud bang. Oh, shit. So the duty hit the deck. He grabbed the oh. phone. He dialed, the, you know, the regiment of duty. He said, we're under attack. Oh, so shit. So SRT and everything, like, it got crazy at the barracks. Oh, man. Um, they started knocking on, every do- on everyone's door. And then the next morning, Echo Company, you know, they, they interrogated all their Marines. And they said it wasn't us. So I, I'm assuming someone smarter than I at the time was like, they probably threw it on the opposite side so they wouldn't get blamed. So <sighs> someone ratted us all out and we ended up having to go to a CCU correctional custody unit. And, um, it was called a deterrent where you go there for a day. And so the way the day started was at zero five, we ran to the company office. We met the first sergeant, first sergeant. Four of them were in there. They had some other kids that were going. There was five of us that we had to go from my platoon that were part of it. And, um, they said, hey, run to the gym, where the gym is at the circle in Lejeune. That's where CCU was. Mm-hmm. So they ran, they followed us in the van. We ran over there. As soon as we got there, um, they started yelling, these, uh, Lance Cole started yelling at us. They kind of brought you back into boot camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got, we picked up a 50 pound pack, a rubber rifle, and then we went on a ruck run for about five miles, hit the O course about 10 times, got wow. a cap full of water, literally a cap full of water then ran back the five miles then we did rifle it for an hour pack it for an hour flutter kicks 100 flutter kicks and then we did log uh pt for an hour and then we broke rocks for an hour by then the day was winding down the sun was going down they got us back in the classroom and the whole time they're t- the first ones are yelling at us driving behind you know next to us yelling at the window if, if you fall out or you quit we're gonna njp so this was kind of like our deterrent to conform rather than doing paperwork. They would just wear us out. Yeah. So not many guys finished that day. Long course. A lot of, a lot of Marines quit. Um, ironically, the five of us from 81s, we did it. And um, they got us in the classroom at the end of the day. And they said, hey, you know, we have a month uh, where you can stay here if you feel like you need more help to correct <laughs> your attitudes and, you know, your disobedience and whatnot. Any of you want to stay here from another month? And no one said anything. They're like, good. And it was funny because they were like left hand, left knee, right hand. We're like, we're right back to boot camp. Yeah. And it had been a couple of years. So it was pretty funny. And then we left there, ran back, but that was it. Wow. They didn't do any paperwork or anything. So what about the guys that quit? Did they get NJP? They all got NJP. Oh, yeah. shit. Back then, like paperwork was like the last resort. Um, I had a, I had a platoon commander said, we did something else. We were going to get a page 11. The gunny wanted us to get a page 11. The, the platoon commander's like, absolutely not. We're going to the field for a month. We got them. We get to the field and all we did was dig holes for a month. It was just horrible. My hands were like bleeding all day. Wow. And he would come by and he's like, you can stop digging the hole. I just give you your page 11. But we're like, no, we'll just keep digging. <laughs> wow. So <clears throat> now you said, you know, back then paperwork was a last resort. Did things eventually change is paperwork like the first resort now or what you just described this whole story right here would that be considered hazing today yeah i think it, it changed hazing came big and i got a good story on hazing um so i was going with 38 to kabul um and there's some i just checked i wasn't in 38 that long i was a general's driver as a lance second award lance corporal and asked him to go to a deploying unit to combat so he sent me to one 
to three eight, and I guess a bunch of kids were, you know, those ab electric shot things. Mm-hmm. They're putting on Marines' faces during field day and making them drink, and then shocking <laughs> the crap out of them. So one of the Marines went UA, wrote his mother. Mother hit the congressman up, and we're one of the guys that was being accused was an NCO, and we were flying to Kabul on a on a C one thirty from Bahrain. And we landed in the outgoing unit CO, talked to our CO, left him on the plane, five NCOs on the plane. And they all went back, got court-martialed and processed out for hazing. Oh, wow. Uh, I would say around 2001, two is when hazing started becoming, you know, the pinning of the the, um, breast insignia and all that just started getting out of control. There really Mm. was no uh, left and right lateral limits on it. Yeah. So then they just cut it all out and just started doing more paperwork. I remember going through that every time you got promoted, you weren't allowed to put the backings on your chevrons right. for the whole day. And and then you just got fucking pounded all yeah, day. Yeah, there's no blood striping anymore. There's none of that. <laughs> it's just, there's no, people just take it, take it too far. Yeah. You know, and there's not a doctrine on it. There's not a limit to right. what you can and can't do on it. Right. So then it just gets, gets out of hand and we start adding, adding alcohol to it. It just gets bad. Yeah. Wow. So, man, 22 years in the core, I mean, you could fucking sit here and tell stories for hours. Um, so, you know, what was your what was your favorite assignment during those years? Honestly, they all had its like my first four years for me as a, a new Marine is like your very forming mm-hmm. years. Um, being in Lejeune, I was glad I was in Lejeune because back then Lejeune was pretty tight. Mm-hmm. You know, you weren't walking around with a nasty uniform or you're, you're not going to PT and like jog, you're running like. It was just hard, and I, I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, being in the field there, everything's alive, so it's miserable in the field. <laughs> so after going in the field in Lejeune, everything after that was, you know, pleasurable. Yeah. Uh, especially coming out to California or Hawaii. Um, but every every different job challenged me in different ways. Mm-hmm. And as I grew in, in the Marine Corps and rank, um, I, I developed and I changed. And then, so I, I had pros and cons to all the assignments. Um, they all had their challenges. I think the most recent one is where I retired. I enjoyed a lot going back to the drill field mm. as a first sergeant. Um, my goal when I went back was to try to be um, the best first sergeant I could be for those Marines. When, when I was a drill sergeant, we had like a 90 plus divorce rate. Mm. Um, I got divorced. Um, and I just thought, how stupid is it that we're asking these Marines to work 20-hour days plus 90 days in a row, but yet we're not going to take care of them and their families? Yeah. Um, so my goal is to do that. So you mean uh, the divorce rate, meaning the Marines that were drill instructors were getting divorced because of how much they were working? And so every class, at, when you left the depot, after if you made it a successful tour, mm-hmm. they would... The ladies that you were checking out with, they would say, oh, you know, your class, whatever, 3-tech-06, uh, yeah, your divorce rate was like 96% or 98%. Um, I want to say we started with the 33 drill instructors, and I want to say about 15 left successfully. Uh, the, the rest got um, RFC'd or court-martialed and processed out. Wow. Um, and then the, those who made it, we, we were still at like a 98% divorce rate. Wow. That's crazy. When you, when you went into the drill field, were you, were you single? Did you have a girlfriend? Were you, or? No, when I, when I went the first time I was married, 
Mm. Uh, we had been married for a couple of years, dating for about four or five, mm-hmm. or we're together for about four or five total. Um, but I, I don't blame the drill field for us splitting apart. I think we weren't, we were young when we got married. And I just, so we got married when I came back from Afghanistan, I moved out west. And then I checked into the unit, I shattered my hip. And then a year later, it's like 14 months after I got to the West Coast, I was going to Iraq for OIF2. And then I was there for seven months. I came back for a month and then I volunteered to go back for another six months. I was doing personal security for a general at the time and I enjoyed the job because we got to go everywhere and see everything. Mm. Um, given I wasn't kicking doors in, but my assignment was to a non infantry unit. So that was like the closest thing I could get to. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of benefits running around with the general too. So yeah. can't complain about that. Wow. How'd you shatter your hip? Where I was teaching, a re- I was at combat skills training school, and that school was there to help um, FS- FSSG units getting ready for deployment. So, you know, infantry tactics, land nav, patrolling, rear security. Um, so we had a, like a culminating event. I infiltrated the their camp, and I got tackled by three Marines, dislocated my leg, shattered the back of my hip socket. Um, Shit. And then I had to have surgery at the old hospital on Pendleton, but the doctor was like, this is complicated surgery. I haven't done anything like this before. So you can let me do it or you can wait for an ambulance for like five, six hours to take you down to Balboa. And I was like, I'll wait. Um, but before he did that, he didn't take, when I came into the hospital, he didn't take any x-rays and he, he told everyone, Oh, I just have a dislocated leg. So he tried to put it back in and he just grinding bone on bone. And I was screaming bloody murder. They put me under, um, but I was still screaming being under, uh, from what I was told. So he sent me to x-ray, came back, and I started coming to you from, from being under. And I saw two corpsmen drilling a rod through my knee. And they're like, oh, looking at it. And they're like, oh, it's the wrong angle. And then the other corpsman's like, hey, undrill it out and redrill it straight. Ooh. So I was trying to speak. And finally, I, I could speak. And I told him, hey, stop. Go get the doctor. <sighs> the doctor came out. And he, I'm like, why, why are they drilling a hole through my knee? A rod through my knee. I have a hip injury, not a knee injury. <laughs> and he's like, well, we got to put you in traction to separate your ball joint from your hip socket so we can get in there and do some work. And I'm like, well, can't you just, you know, throw a band around my knee? And he's like, no, it's more stable when it's through your knee. And we throw some fishing line and weights off the rack and it'll pull that leg joint away from the socket. Shit. Yeah. God damn, so man. I went, I went to surgery. I woke, woke up the next day and then the doctor came in and said it was a great surgery. I have 48 staples and um, three, two plates and like four screws. And then he was, hey, here's some paperwork I need you to sign. I'm on morphine drip at the time. And he's like, I'm like, well, what is this document for? What am I signing? He's like, it's your med board. We're going to process you out. And I had just re-enlisted, been only on the West Coast for like three, four months. Mm. We were getting ready to go to the invasion of Iraq. And I was like, well, if I don't sign it, what do I, how much time do I have to, to prove that I can stay in? And he was like, well, you know, Bo Jackson. I'm like, yeah. He's like, you get the same injury as him. He don't play football anymore. I'm like, well, I'm not Bo Jackson. So <laughs> what, what is it that I have to do? He's like, you have to take a physical fitness test. I'm like, okay, what do I have to score? He's like, you just got to pass. And I'm like, how much time do I get? He's like, the max time is six months. I just threw the paper away. It's like, well, I'll see you in six months. Mm. And then wow. six months later, I took the PFT. I got a 279, and that's the lowest I ever got in the Marine Corps. Fucking 279 is higher than probably half the fucking Marine Corps, dude. You know what I mean? That's that's a fucking great PFT score. 
Um, damn, that's hardcore. Um, I'm curious about if you have any stories from uh, uh, um, being a drill instructor in the drill field with maybe recruits uh, or maybe some behind the scenes shit that, you know, I probably don't even know about, you know? There's tons of stories. Um, there's no statute of limitations on, on these stories, especially if you're retired and you're collecting pay. Uh, <laughs> I got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. Um, so I, let me think of some funny things. Well, I yeah. can tell you when I was a recruit, uh-huh. I can tell you those, okay. some of those stories. Okay. Um, I thought I was pretty tough. I, I wouldn't say I was the toughest, um, but I got I came there with the mindset that I'm going to get work. So I, I trained pretty hard in Oregon, um, running a lot, preparing to go. Um, and when I got there, the, once I figured out they couldn't hit us, like really hit you, like beat you, mm-hmm. I was like, well, this is going to be easy. My mom beats me you know, <laughs> on a regular, so this won't be too hard. Um <laughs> And then all they could do is IT me. And I took IT as like, I, we didn't have gym sessions. We had PT sessions, but there was really no, that was it for the day. Right. And it wasn't a lot of upper body. Most of that was lower, lower body exercises. So I took that as a challenge. So I was always getting in trouble. My rack mate and I on the first day got in a fight, this big redhead. He wasn't cleaning something. And I said, hey, you need to start cleaning the window instead of looking out, out of it. And he, he's like, what are you going to do about it? So we just started swinging on each other. So they moved us to the front, very first rack by the front post, and we were rack mates. Um, and we just got ate up because we would never help each other. <sighs> and uh, finally, like at the first month in, we we're just getting IT all the time. Like as soon as the lights come on, the drill instructor is like us two right to the corner. Of it. So one day I said, "Look, man, I don't like you. You don't like me. I get it, but we need to figure this out. Or else we're not going to make it. Mm. Like this is not going. This you and I are not going to make it like yeah. this." So he's like, "All right." So. We, after that, we, we were done with everything all the time. Yeah. And and um, I thought for a minute there, one of us would be a squalier, but we were both of us were pretty shitheads. So um, the senior drill got pissed off because the, the drill search couldn't, I, in my opinion, couldn't break me, um, IT me. I would like sing songs when I would get an IT. So they told me I couldn't say anything. Yeah. Um, but the the senior drill was like, look, I know how to break you, Coburn. I'm like, Yes, sir. And he's like, you're going to have two hours of fire watch from 12 to 0 to for the last half of boot camp. At first, it didn't really bug me. Um, but then when we got up north for uh, the Crucible, mm-hmm. I asked permission to, to not have fire watch, that much fire watch during the Crucible. And he's like, no, I told you from now to graduation, if you make it, you're doing two hours of fire watch. Wow. So my mom came to see us. We used to have visitors Thursday and have like a little dinner. Mm-hmm. We'd march out to see our parents for like an, like an hour or something. And I have those photos where I just got big old black eyes from like not sleeping, Damn. just sleep derived. Um, didn't break me though. Yeah, didn't break me. So when you when you were, uh, uh, I think it's when you're a gunnery sergeant and you're moving up to that next rank, you get the option to go to first sergeant or master sergeant, right? You, yes. Uh, and you, ch- uh, how come you chose first sergeant? I was in the infantry, and um, to be quite honest, um, I felt like. I kind of did a little bit of everything in the infantry. The only thing I didn't really spend some time doing was uh, being a cat, cat section. Um, but I was a you know sniper platoon sergeant um, as a gunner sergeant, and I did a deployment with them and mortarmen, and then I was with a line company. Um, so I feel like I got the feel of being in the infantry. Mm-hmm. And a mass sergeant, I would just continue doing 
the same thing, but then I'd be the senior enlisted expert, you know, it's me uh, for, for the infantry. And though there's a lot of credibility and, and that's a job that's needed, I wanted to do other things. And being a first sergeant, I felt it would give me uh, opportunity, more opportunities to do other things to challenge myself in, in different settings. Mm. Um, so that's why I put F. Mm. And then um, I got promoted to first sergeant in Moscow, Russia. I was a de- de- detachment commander out there from 13 to 14. And um, I was glad I, I was on MSG duty. I was in Port-au-Prince, Haiti from 12 to 13. And that really transitioned my personality from being just a basic infantry guy yelling at people. You know, you can be a certain way in the infantry that doesn't necessarily transcend to all of the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, certain personalities and traits work better in other settings. And um, being being the senior guy in these countries, talking to dignitaries and other generals and ambassadors. Really, ha- I, and then the way I approached my Marines, I really had to adjust my leadership style and my tact that I, for the lack of a better term, I, d- I don't think I really had a lot of tact. It was just more demands and, mm-hmm. and barking orders. Um, so it really developed me. Yeah. Uh, being out on MSG. Yeah. I heard uh, a lot of people want to do MSG duty, right? That's oh, yeah. uh, very popular. I, well, it's popular with the younger guys. A lot of them don't like their MOSs. I had a lot of guys <laughs> from the wing. Um, and especially from the wing in Okinawa and they didn't want to do their job out there anymore. So, you know, MSG is a way to get out of it. Mm. And then a lot of them want to transition out afterwards. So they'll go on MSG duty, do school to help them transition, which is great. And then they get to see a lot of part of the world before they get out on the Marine Corps dime. Um, so the challenge that I had was finding these Marines who already had the mindset to come on this program to transition out to keep them motivated to stay in the fight hmm. uh, of the Marine Corps mission, right. uh, not just our personal mission. Hmm. And I just told them, I said, we can have a fine balance, but the Marine Corps has to come first. That's why you're here. Right. All your other things that you're trying to do for yourself, I will help and support that. As long as you take care of the mission first, hmm. I'll follow up with all those other things for you. Um, but yeah, MSG was great. Um, what was it like uh, being in charge of a sniper platoon? Oh man, it was chaos. Yeah, <laughs> I volunteered for that duty. I, I, um, I don't think I was uh, deserving of it, but the higher higher did, and I was fortunate enough to to be able to do. Um, I got a DUI um, a year and a half prior to taking the platoon. I left the drill field, checked into K Bay to one three, and uh, my first weekend I got a DUI, and um, so I thought my career was done. I actually got passed over twice. I was on my way out. Um, but I did well in the first deployment and I, and I asked the Sergeant Major if, if I beat the rap out in town, would they be willing to, um, set the NJP aside? And not many Marines know what that's, that is. It's a setting aside letter. The CO who gave you the NJP or the CO who replaces him at that unit can re- remove it or submit a letter to set it aside based off the new circumstances, administrative oversight. Um, but I did all that research on my own and, um, I asked for it, did a good job on the deployment, on the first deployment, one three came back, I beat the rap out in town, and then they gave me the setting aside letter. But that was the beginning of my journey to to remove all the fitness reports and submit for remedial package while in Afghanistan uh, for gunner sergeant. And luckily um, I won and they backdated it two years back and um, I didn't get kicked out because I would have got forced out coming back from that second deployment wow. from Afghanistan with one three. Wow. Um, 
Um, wow. But that Snyder Platoon. So I got the Snyder Platoon. Back to your original uh, question. I thought, I was like, I want to get the smartest, fastest, strongest, you know, best guys in the battalion. This will be a cakewalk. Easy. Man, those guys are a pain in my ass. Um, <laughs> the average GT score was like a 135. Mm-hmm. The highest is 155. I think I was the lowest GT score in uh, the platoon. And I was a platoon sergeant. <laughs> um, they asked why about everything. Like, I was just so used to being direct and just do this. And they are like, why? Because I told you so. That's right. why. Um, luckily, my chief scout, Jonesy, um, pulled me off to the side. The chief scout is the, the more senior sniper in the platoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, we were both staff sergeants, and he pulled me off to the side. He's like, look, man. He's like, these Marines are going to ask you a lot of questions because they're really smart. They're not trying to you know, second-guess your authority or why you're asking them to do anything. But the more information you give them, the better they can execute on what you asking them to do to, to accomplish that mission. Mm. He's like, so don't take it personal. They're not asking you to, to make you think that you're not valid. They're asking you because they want as much information so they can build how they're going to execute that mission. He's like, so just give them everything and then let them go do it and they'll be fine. Mm. Um, and I was grateful for that uh, mentorship, but with him and my platoon commander, they didn't get along. So they're always fighting. So I had to, you know, keep them at bay. <laughs> um, but the sniper, you know, it was, it was challenging, and I, and I stayed in as long as I did because the Marine Corps challenged me emotionally, mentally, physically. You know, I had to adapt. You know, I couldn't get comfortable in one way of doing business. I had to adapt, and I loved all those different challenges. I, I don't think there's many jobs out of the military that will constantly keep you evolving. Mm-hmm. You get into a job, whatever it is, a desk job or whatever kind of job. And you, once you master it, that's it. Now you got to find outside things to do with your time to continue challenging you in other areas. Yeah. And the Marine Corps just constantly threw so many different things at me at all the times. Right. And I felt like, I don't know, I wouldn't say I thrived, but I enjoyed uh, the challenges. Mm. And those snipers <laughs> challenged me every day. <laughs> um, but I was grateful to, to be their platoon sergeant um, and support them on their mission. We brought everybody home. We lost some gear, but no fault of our own. Flew out of an Osprey, but that's a whole different. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Com gear went out the back. Oh that shit! Was a, that was a shit show too. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed them tremendously. I, I, I learned a lot and I grew a lot because of them. Wow. Um, so what was uh, what was that feeling of retirement like for you when 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 you came when it came down to retiring after you know all these years? Well. You know, I, I, I felt the Marine, I needed the Marine Corps definitely more than they needed me. Um, and I'll, I'll never say that any other way than that way. Um, I got in a lot of trouble in the Marine Corps. The fact that I could retire at all, let alone to be a first sergeant, I mean, that's a blessing. Mm. Um, I mean, I pretty much in every rank had some type of jeopardy and, um, you know, I'd have to learn from it and my leaders held me accountable and, put me back in the fight and I was able to adapt. Um, and then I would step on my, my, my sword again and then I'd have to do it again. So at the end of the road, I was disappointed. Um, everyone always wants to get to the top of their game or the industry. And for me, that was becoming a SAR major. Um, but against my peer group with all the adversity, there, there was no way I was going to get there. Mm. Um, but I wanted to be able to say I fought all the way to the end. And at least that way, if the Marine Corps did push me out, 
it wasn't for me giving up on myself mm-hmm. um, or, or doing my did the job to the best of my abilities. Yeah. They were just guys better than me right. that were more deserving. Um, so that kind of hit home, not getting selected. Um, and then pretty much getting told you got to get out. Um, but I kind of saw the writing on the wall early. I, I like to plan things out kind of a couple years out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew that was more likely of a possibility for my future. Um, so I just wanted to run all the way to the end, the same way I came running into the Marine Corps um, with my head up, held up high. And um, I started planning the transition about two years out. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a couple of things that I was thinking about doing, but I think real estate really was what I thought before I started doing it was something I might be passionate about. I love taking care of people and their families and I'm able to, I thought I'd be able to do that by doing that job. So I just started focusing on transitioning before I even knew that I was going to get forced out. Yeah. And now you have a whole real estate team full of fucking Marines, right? Yeah. That's fucking Marines, uh, Marines and then spouses of Marines. Wow. That's awesome. And we help 99% of our business, our veterans and their families. And I have a large, it feels a large gap in my soul to be able to give back to them and their families and continue what I was doing differently. Mm-hmm. The mission is still the same, right? Just not the Marine Corps mission, go win wars, but, you know, take care of our people. Yeah. Uh, especially the ones that they're still fighting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm humbled by that. Got a great team that I'm surrounded with that I work with and I'm, I'm blessed to have them with me. Um, and they, they continue to challenge me. I, I got some heavy hitters on the team. So, uh, they keep me on my toes and on my game. And I, I don't think I would say I, I, I developed something outside of the Marine Corps that's similar to the Marine Corps. I think I just repurposed the tools that I had in the Marine Corps and I'm using them in a different way. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the things that I learned in try, you know, transitioned out for me easily, from my opinion, mm-hmm. you just got to be able to be adaptable mm-hmm. and see the tools that you did gain and, and how can you reapply them into the civilian world. Mm. So, um, Earlier, uh, you mentioned that you were divorced. Did you ever remarry? Absolutely. Um, when I'm, when I left the drill field in 2009, I got orders to one, three. And, um, when I got there, um, I met my current wife. She, I had been hitting her up, believe it or not on social, on social media. It wasn't really, it was, it was hot or not. And, um, she wouldn't talk to me for like six months. And then finally she gave me her number and we started talking and then we, uh, planned to meet. And that night we met, we've been together ever since. Wow. Um, so that was 2009. We got married <laughs> in order for us, the way I asked her to marry me and she's probably not gonna like that. I'm putting this out there, but it's the truth. Um, I got orders to MSG and if you're not married, obviously your significant other can't come with you. Mm-hmm. And me being an infantry guy is likely I was going to go to some pretty austere countries because there's, you know, not many staff and SEALs are not married. Um, so I asked her, I said, Hey, uh, I don't necessarily feel we need to rush to get married. Um, I'm enjoying our time together. We've been together for a couple of years now. Um, <clears throat> but where I'm going, you can't come with me if we're not married. So she was like, well, are you asking me to marry me? I'm like, well, yeah, essentially if we get, if we don't get married, then this is it. And I don't want it to end. Um, but, but again, like I'm not trying to rush you to get married. And she's like, yeah, I'm down. Um, so we got married in 2012 and we just hit our 10 year anniversary, um, this year. And, you know, honestly, I, I was, I was a mess after my first divorce. I was just all over the place and then no one else going to combat. I just didn't care. My care for my personal wasn't as, 
where it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but having her in my life, and she came with me to Haiti, Russia, um, came back here with me, and we went. I did two appointments to Guam. She came to, with me on one of them. Um, but having her w- with me on that last half of my journey in the military really kept me grounded. Um, honestly, I probably wouldn't have made it all the way to the end <laughs> for sure if she wasn't around. Wow. Um, so I credit a lot of the things that I was going through um, with the Marine Corps. I was able to have a sounding board to talk through those things and um, disappointments and frustrations and, you know, people don't give enough credit to the person at home. We have our buddies all day at work. We're around. And a lot of those spouses are at home on their own. Mm. Um, and then we come home and dump all the crap from our day on to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you know, what's in it for them or what are they getting out of it? Right. But they still stay there and persevere and they keep the house together and, and, you know, keep us happy. And so I, I feel like the spouse has it harder majority of the time than the service member. Mm-hmm. Um, we have it easy. We are surrounded by our, our brothers and sisters all day long. Mm-hmm. Most of them are alone taking care of kids and the family at home. And that's a lot of work. They have like 10 jobs. We got one job. Yeah. Um, so I, I credit a lot of my success of where I'm at today because of her. Mm. Awesome. Well, congrats, man. Thanks. Uh, 10 years, you said? 10-year anniversary? Yeah, we just had our 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. Yeah, no, that's a big deal. Um, you know, uh, I agree. Spouses get overlooked, you know, military spouses, and they, they play a huge, huge role in uh, um, keeping us straight, you know, and stable and, um, you know, uh, all the worry that they go through while we're overseas and everything that we're doing and them not being in the know and not having all the information that they want to have and us not being able to communicate back and forth like we want to. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a big, big deal, man. So well, I'm glad. That's why I was so excited when I went back to the drill field, you know, two years there with a company, I didn't have one divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I did everything I could to provide support, but you know, the, the Marine Corps or the military in general could do a better service to those family members. You know, once they get married, or once, you know, they're identif- they got married and they're, or they're in now and they're married, they should provide more ca- classes, education of like what the life's about, what mm-hmm. to expect on that journey. Every unit should have a book like, Hey, they're going to go to the field a lot more. You're coming from this environment, from that last duty station. Well, this is what it's like here. And here's some spouses to connect with. Like they're trying. Um, but it's a lot of women on the behind the scenes creating things on their own. Um, networks on their own and they got the family readiness officers and some are better than others and um, DRC is what they're called now. Um, but I think it's still a struggle and we could do better. Mm. Now uh, you're part of uh, the Marine Corps League, correct? Yes. Um, recently took over for the Pete Hammer. He was a previous uh, commandant for the Marine Corps League of the South Coast Attachment 22. And, um, you know, when I got out, I didn't want anything to do with the military per se like beyond like helping veterans find homes. Um, but I had a big void in my life when I got out. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just so used to communicating with a bunch of different Marines all the time on a daily officers and whomever family members because of whatever. But as soon as I got out, all that stopped. It was just my wife and, you know, my team of realtors. Right. And not that they couldn't fill that void. It was just, it was just something that I didn't know I was going to miss or have that such a big gap you know, doing someone for so long and then all of a sudden it just stops. It, it was, it started to get tough. Mm. So then I was like, well, maybe, you know, I can be around some of these older guys, you know, that probably been through worse than I have and found a way to persevere. Um, so I, 
you know, I met up with uh, Chris Pacheco. We went to the American Legion um, down in San Juan Capistrano. And that was a great experience. And then one of the members was also a Marine Corps League member, um, Glenn Shignu. And he said, hey, uh, I'm reading for the Marine Corps Leagues tomorrow. You should come check it out. And we did. And that was almost a year ago. Um, been volunteering with them since. And then the previous comment on Pete Hammer said, hey, Nelson, you're the right guy at the right time. I'm 77 years old and we need someone young. And hungry, and I think you're just the right guy at the right time, and I need you to take over. And I, I didn't want to take over anything. <laughs> I was just trying to run my own business and volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, but when someone like that presents something to you in that way, the only answer is yes. Mm. Like, I ought, right? <laughs> yeah, so, that's awesome. Um, since taking it over, um, we're just trying to continue to serve our community, raise funds to serve active duty service members and their families or families that are out. Mm-hmm. of need and i enjoy it tremendously it fills that that void and mm-hmm. honestly i have i didn't think when i got out i'd be able to impact as many lives at one time that i was able to while i was in but honestly i'm able to influence and impact more lives being part of this organization than i was when i was in we support multiple units you know thousands of marines um and it's amazing yeah Damn, that's awesome. Um, and you guys are located uh, San Clemente area? San- yeah, uh, we, we have our meetings on the third Tuesday. Yeah. Third Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. Of every month. And we meet at Elks Lodge uh, from 1800 and a couple hours after. Right on. Yeah. Well, it's a t- Tuesday. It's the third yeah. Tuesday. Right. Well, right on, Nelson. Uh Getting ready to cut the tape, man. Any last words? Um, if you're still wearing the uniform, um, I know there's days that you hate it or it's just monotonous or whatever. I want you to, to think about two things. The time that you have in is very limited and the amount of effort that you put into it, though you might not feel the impact. You're, you're influencing someone else. You're supporting somewhere else and you're making the institution better. So give it everything that you got. And then the second thing is all of you will get out at some point. Don't forget about who you are and where you're going to go after the military. You can do things while you're in to help that transition out whenever that is uh, to put you in a better situation for you and your family and your future success. And the third thing, never give up. Keep fighting. Awesome. Hey, thanks for being here, brother. Appreciate it. Sweet. Thanks for having me, Josh. Push it to the limit. I can't go no more.